Well, good morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and I want to welcome you this morning. I know Jay and Roselle have already welcomed you, but I want to do the same uh, as uh, we welcome you to Element Church and uh, the very first week in a new series we're doing this summer uh, called Summer Story. So when you walked in this morning, you were handed what we call a worship guide, and uh, there's a lot of great information in here. As a matter of fact, if you open it up, there's a ton of announcements. So instead of preaching, we're just going to do announcements today. Not really. Um, but these are there for you. We'll briefly cover uh, a few of the highlights uh, at the end of the service before we dismiss today. But uh, lots of great things happening this summer. Uh, information about what's going on you can find in here. Uh, other ways to get connected and know uh, uh, really how to get involved and maybe to answer a few of your questions you can find right in there. Um, now, if, you're, if you'll also do me a favor, I want everyone to pull out their phones. And no, I'm not about to tell you to put it on silent. Uh, and I want you to open up the Bible app. Um, so open up the Bible app. If you don't already have it, you can get it in the Google Play or iTunes Store. Uh, it's free. Uh, and if you'll go to live events, um, it's going to geolocate you. And the first thing that's going to pop up is Element Church. And if you select Element Church, uh, it's going to open up. And just about everything that's in that worship guide, you can get right here on your phone. And you can follow along with us today as well as uh, some of our points, some of the scriptures that we're going to be covering today. Um, you can just scroll through and it'll be right there in order for you. Earlier, Jay mentioned a connection card if you're a guest with us, um, or, if, or, or if you show up every week but you have a prayer request, um, that connection card is a great way to communicate your needs. Uh, a prayer request, something we could do as a church to minister to your family. Uh, maybe you have a new email address that you need to let us know about. Maybe you're a guest and you just want to let us know more about you. That connection card, you can do it that way, or you can just do it right there in the Bible app. There's a link that you can click to, to fill out the connection card or share a prayer request. And so um, everything that you need to do, you can do right, right from there. And so as we get started, we're starting a, um, a, a new series today, beginning today, uh, called Summer Stories. Now, I imagine most of us love stories. You know, when you're little, it's bedtime stories, um, and then it grows into campfire stories. Um, and then uh, as you get older, those stories that you love begin to change, whether they're love stories or war stories um, or my kind of one of my favorite fishing stories, right? Whatever you love to tell. Um, and, or, or maybe it's a most embarrassing story. You don't like to tell it, but you like to hear it. Um, we, we all love stories um, because they engage our imagination, they, 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 they reach us and, and make us feel like, like, like we're a part of a bigger story. Um, sometimes they, they make us cry. Sometimes they make us laugh. Um, so my most embarrassing story, um, I, I've had several of them, but the, the biggest one comes uh, when I was in seventh grade. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Oklahoma, and uh, I always had this love for Colorado. And so my family and I, we would come up here and, and do things and, and ski and stuff like that. And so I, I um, had, had kind of gotten involved with this church. They had this youth group for teenagers. I had not ever really hung out with the teenagers much. Despite me being a pastor today, I didn't particularly like church back then, and, uh, and, but they were offering this ski trip for teenagers, and uh, so that, that sounded like a great idea to me. So I signed up uh, on my way up here um, to go snowboarding. I don't even remember where we went that year, but uh, we're coming up, and 
we're on this old ratty church bus, like very stereotypical, you know, backfires every time it goes uphill. And so we come up here and, and uh, snowboard for three or four days. And as a typical teenager who doesn't have his parents around to watch him, I didn't eat smart. I never put on sunscreen. And so for three or four days, there was no sleep, right? We're, we're, we played, our thing was playing spades. If you've ever played the card game spades, we'd play spades like all night. And uh, so no sleep, being out in the sun, not eating well. Uh, we start on the way home, and I have never been car sick a day in my life, uh, but we're riding there, and I start to feel a little sick. Matter of fact, we were playing spades on the bus, uh, the, the church bus that we were riding. There were two sections where seats had been turned around, so you had four kind of seats that were facing each other, four people could face each other, so we'd put a pillow between all our legs, and we'd play spades right there. And this girl sitting across from me, a girl I had a crush on, by the way, um, was like, I'm not feeling really well. And I was like, I don't feel well either. So she was like, let's go tell Jeremy. He was the pastor and the bus driver. And so we get up and start walking forward. And she's standing right in front of me. And she stops about row four. I'm about row five. And she goes, Jeremy, I don't feel good. And Adam's feeling sick too. And so Jeremy is driving the bus, looks in that big, huge mirror. And he goes, Adam, are you going to be okay? And at that moment, I knew I shouldn't say anything. Like, but I'm in seventh grade, so I have no self-control. And so I say, I'm going to be sick. I got to I, and then there it was. Also being in seventh grade, not knowing how to handle the situation, I thought if I tried to hold it in, <laughs> that would effectively work. And so everyone from row five forward... Uh, was covered. And it was everywhere. So of course, immediately throw the bus over. I go out and I'm like throwing up on the side of the road. And then like all these teenagers in the bus are like leaning out the window. Uh, back in the day when we had disposable cameras and everyone's taking pictures of me throwing up and then, you know, winding it, click, or winding it, click. And uh, this was my first trip with this group, like ever. Like this was my first experience hanging out with these teenagers in this particular church group. And uh, so, so needless to say, for the next five years until I graduated, I ended up getting really involved and, and, and was a part of that group for throughout the rest of high school. But that was what I was remembered for. <laughs> Everyone had pictures of me throwing up. Like that was like a souvenir they kept from the trip. And I never lived that down. I still occasionally have people, and I'm hardly ever on Facebook, but I still occasionally will have people message me on Facebook, people that I've kind of forgotten about, and they'll be like, hey, remember when you threw up on the back of my head? And it still happens. And so um, we, we, all have, we all have funny stories, sad stories, crazy stories. Uh, we love to share and we love to hear them. But the reality is everybody also has a story. Your life is a story. And in this series, we're going to kind of talk about discovering our story and the role that God plays in it and the importance of having that story, of knowing that story, of sharing that story. And so today as we get started, what we're going to do is we're going to allow someone in the Bible to share their story with us. And we're going to start this series by allowing a guy named Paul to share his story. Now, there's a lot of things we know about Paul that we can read about him in the Bible. But what we're going to do today is we're going to just take four kind of sections of Scripture where Paul is speaking in his own words and allow him to tell us his story. And we're going to do that together today. And so normally we only have a few verses we look at and we just like read them and we talk about 
important words and we kind of analyze it. Today we're going to do less of that and just read and kind of reflect and allow Paul to, to share his story and to speak to us today. And so um, the way we're going to start this is by asking some questions, and you can answer them for yourselves, but then we're going to allow Paul to answer them. And so the first question we're going to ask when we talk about your story is, who were you? And this is what Paul is going to say about himself, about his former life in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 2. And he says this, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So let me give you some background. Paul has been arrested. Um, he has been arrested because he is so passionate about preaching about Jesus that he has angered some people, particularly in this instance, it just so happens to be a group of Jewish people in Jerusalem. Uh, and they have, uh, he has been arrested, and as a matter of fact, um, he was going to be set free by uh, a sort of a type of governor named Festus uh, in the first century in a place called Caesarea. Um, but, but Paul knew that, that he was, they were planning his assassination, and so he chose to stay in prison because he was safer there until things could settle down. And so um, Festus has left, King Agrippa has shown up, and Paul is now going to make his defense for what's going on, kind of give him the story about how did I end up here in the first place. And so this is what's happening. He's just trying to, and, and I love it, he's, he's kind of buttering up King Agrippa a little bit. He says in verse 3, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Um, so he's like, I, I, you know how it works in this region of the world. Uh, so I'm going to explain it to you and you'll be able to put the pieces together. So in verse 4 he says this, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. I'll explain that in just a moment. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul begins to share to this king his backstory. He wants the king to know where he comes from. And so he begins by saying, listen, you can ask all of my fellow Jews. Paul was a Jew, just like Jesus was a Jew. And says, you can ask all of them that from the days of my youth, I was passionate about my religion to the point of being a Pharisee, which is the religious elite of Paul's day. These are people who are in charge and their primary focus is to not only um, protect re the religion of the Jewish faith, but to propagate it and to make sure others were protecting it and following it and living it. And they were zealous and they were great at their jobs. And he says, so if you need any proof of who I used to be, 
I was a part of the Pharisees. That was not an easy task to do. It was, it was very difficult, and few people, even who wanted to become a Pharisee, ever got the opportunity. You, you had to have connections. You had to be incredibly smart. By the age of 13, after your first round of training, you would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized, word for word, by the age of 13. That was step one. And then there were many steps to continue. And so he says, listen, King, I am as zealous as they come. As a matter of fact, not only was I smart, not only was I passionate, not only was I devoted, I was so devoted to my faith that I was persecuting people who followed Jesus. That it was my task on authority of the, the, of the uh, Jewish temple rulers to arrest them, to persecute them. And when it came time to vote on whether or not we'd kill them, I cast my vote against them. I voted yes. And he said, I used to try to force them to blaspheme. I tried to force them to confess to a crime they didn't commit so that I had a good justification for persecuting them. It was torture. He says, that's where I come from, King. That's who I used to be. I want you to know how I got here today. And it begins by telling you who I used to be. This is the picture of, of Paul. Back then, this picture of Paul that we're getting now, people used to call him Saul. That was his birth name, Saul of Tarsus. But something is about to happen to him so radical that even changing his name seemed appropriate because he had become such a new person. And so he begins and continues his story in verse 12. And we ask this question, your story, who were you? Now we say, what happened to you? Verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. So for the purpose of arresting and persecuting Christians. With the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, that's a strange, very rural first century statement uh, that literally means, why are you pulling against the reins? You know, when you're, when you're riding a horse or a mule or a donkey and you've, they've got that bridle in their mouth and you've got a hold of the reins and you pull to the left to pull their head to the left, uh, you expect them to follow your lead. And Jesus says, Paul, I'm trying to lead you. Why are you fighting against me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me." Verse 19, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, 
but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. So he tells this king, I was on my way to Damascus to continue what I had been doing, destroying the church. I was going to destroy the church that worshipped and followed Jesus when all of a sudden Jesus appeared to me face to face. And from that moment, everything changed. I'm no longer called Saul, now I'm called Paul because everything about me has changed. And I went from destroying the church and fighting those who preach Jesus to building the church and preaching Jesus wherever I go. That's what happened. That's his story. And what I think is powerful too is notice when Jesus meets him, what does he tell Paul to do? Preach to the Gentiles. Now that's a very first century foreign word to many of us, but Gentiles literally just means anyone who's not a Jew. So unless you were born Jewish, all of us in here are Gentiles. That's, that's just what that word means. And so here's what Jesus said. You who are so passionately fighting to protect your Jewish faith, you're now tasked with sharing that the Jewish Messiah has come and you're going to go share it with all the rest of the nations. Paul, who was so passionate about protecting the Jews, was now going to reach beyond his comfort zone and reach anyone and everyone around the world who would listen to him because everything had changed. And now because he's the one who's passionately preaching about Jesus, uh, some other Jews who have now filled in his old uh, shoes have now arrested him. And that's where he finds himself today. In prison, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He's now in, although this text doesn't say it, he's now in a place called Caesarea, uh, and will soon be shipped to Rome, where he will have his final trial before Caesar uh, himself. So we kind of get this picture of Paul as he tells a story. Who he used to be, what happened to him, and the third aspect of your story is what does it mean to you now? Here's what Paul will say at another time about what took place in his life and what it means to him. Philippians chapter 3. This is a, a letter authored by Paul himself. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So I'm going to explain why he says that in just a second. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision. Strange word. We'll talk about that in a minute too. Uh, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So um, if you know anything about the Jewish faith and religion, uh, is that circumcision has been something that they held very dear uh, as a promise to their commitment to God. Uh, it may not be that way today, but certainly um, many centuries ago in the Middle East, or what we call the ancient Near East, um, uh, circumcision was something that was quite odd, especially when there was not anesthetics and um, things like that to, uh, to make it a little easier. And so the Jewish people 
stood out and were different from all other people groups. And so this practice sort of became a source of pride to say, we're different than you. And instead of saying, uh, we're different than you, God is doing something amongst us, we want to share it with you, they begin to hoard their relationship with God as though it made them better. And so what's happening is Paul is preaching about Jesus, and he's saying, all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. And then people are coming behind him after he'll preach that message, start a church, and he goes to the next town to preach it again. People will go behind him and go, oh, oh, Jesus is good, but don't forget to follow all the Jewish rules, one of those being circumcision. So here's what he's doing. He's now writing a letter back to this church that he had started to say to them, don't listen to these people. All you need is Jesus. No amount of religious deeds or any kind of religious to-do list will ever be what you need, will ever be your answer. What your answer is, what you need, is Jesus. And so that's why he's saying, we're the circumcision. And in another part, he'll say, those who have faith um, sort of have circumcision of the heart. That's what shows our devotion and our commitment to the Lord. That's what sets us apart, not some physical uh, reality, some physical mark, some outward obedience. It's, a, it's an inward thing. It's a part of the heart. And so verse 4, Though I myself, he says, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's a bold statement. Verse 5, here's why he has more confidence than anyone else. Circumcised on the eighth day, Jewish practice, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, I had it all. Name something that you think you can brag about, and I got more. I got all of it. Not only was he a Pharisee, which meant he had a PhD of today's standards, um, but in another place when he's telling a story, he tells us that he stuttered, studied under a rabbi, Gamiel, in Jerusalem, which we know outside of the Bible, um, in other ancient historical writings, um, to be one of the premier instructors of the day. He not only had all the things that you can't control, who you're born to, where you're born, all those things, not only did he have all of that, but he had the best education by the best instructors Everything you could want to be braggadocious about, he had. Where he came from, what kind of education he had, what his family was like, what all of it. He could brag about it all. But verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I count every advantage I had as loss. Because no diploma you hang on your wall will ever get you into heaven. Because it does not matter who your parents are, what kind of blood runs through your veins, it doesn't impress God. 
Because no amount of religious obedience is ever good enough for us to be compared to the holiness of God. He said, so everything I had to brag about, I count as lost because it's worthless. And in the end, all I want is Christ. Because in the end, it's my faith in Christ where I find my righteousness. So not only get this picture of who Paul was, then what happened to him, we get this picture of what he, how he sees it now. How does he look back retrospectively on what took place in his life and what does it mean to him now? And then the final piece of the story is why share your story? What's so important about your story? And we're going to go back to that conversation Paul was having with King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 25. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. So this is after explaining everything that's taken place. Most, Most excellent Festus. So Festus has now joined with King Agrippa as they're listening to him give his account. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For am I persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice? For this has not been done in a corner. This is a very backhanded way to um, both compliment and uh, persuade the king. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would. To God, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So after Paul shares his story, he really wasn't trying to defend himself in a court of law. Really, he was trying to persuade the king. So, King, you understand how the Jews work. You understand our faith. You understand the prophets and Moses, who are our ancient Jewish writers and leaders. And, and in the end, the king recognizes what Paul's doing and is like, are you trying to make me a Christian? Paul's like, yeah, I am. Whether it happens now, whether it takes a little time or a long time, my hope, my prayer is that my story will impact others that my story will mean something, that through my experiences, people can understand that there is no hope in education. There is no hope in your bloodline. There is no hope in your prestige. There is no hope in your religious to-do list, your, your religious activity, that through my story, people would know that there's no hope in any of that because I've lived it, I've had it, and now I count it all as loss. King, I want you and everyone else who hears me to know that there's only one place to find your hope. So the question for all of us this morning is, what's your story? What's your story? What were those things that you put all your faith and trust in that time and time again let you down? People, activities, bank accounts, careers, status. What is it that you put all of your hope in that time and time again lets you down? And what happened to you? At what point has God entered into your life? How did it happen? What did he do? Or maybe you sit here this morning going, I'm still waiting for that to happen. 
And maybe today is a day where your story takes a turn. And maybe today is a day when your identity begins to shift because you're going to forsake hope in any and everything else except for the one who can bring it. And that's Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time together and the opportunity to be here and just from Paul's own words to hear his story. To see the powerful things that you've done in his life. The effect it had on him and all those around him. And Jesus, we pray that you would move in our lives like that. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. We're entering into a time that we do every week. It's just a time of reflection and response. An opportunity just to slow down for a minute. Not worry about how crazy this morning was or the fight that you had on the way here. A chance to not worry about what else has to happen today, what else is on your plate. Just the time to stop and slow down. To think about what we've talked about today. To allow God to continue to speak to you about it. In a moment, I'm going to hand it back off to Jay, our worship pastor. And, um, he's going to sing and maybe you want to stand and sing and celebrate what God has done in your life. And who he is. Maybe you need some time to just sit and think and pray reflect and meditate right where you're at there's a table in the back with candles on it and, and on that table are two things uh, one is uh, a cup and a plate of bread um, something that Christians for the last 2,000 years have done as a part of worship to honor and to reflect and to remember what Jesus has done for us. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus uh, spent a final supper with his disciples. And during the supper, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is now representing my body, which is going to be broken for you. Though the disciples didn't understand it, he was referring to the cross that he would be nailed to in less than 24 hours. He took a cup and he said, this, this cup represents my blood that will be poured out for you. And so now you and I have the opportunity to take that bread, take that cup as a, as a reflection, as a way to honor and remember the sacrifice Jesus has made for us. Because he's paved the way for you and I to be reunited to God in a way that our accomplishments could never do. And maybe during this time you want to go to that table and take a moment to pray and take the bread and dip it in the cup to remember what Jesus has done for you. There's a basket. And that basket is our way of saying, thank you, God, for all that you've done and all the ways that you've blessed me. And here's my opportunity to give back and worship. And so you do what the Lord leads you to do as you respond to what he has spoken into your heart today. And if you're sitting here today and you're waiting for that, that event, that moment, when God steps in and intervenes, make this your moment. 
You don't have to see a bright light. You don't have to hear a voice from heaven. The Bible says that if you'll believe and confess that God will come in and do something powerful. And so maybe right now you just cry out to God that God, I, I believe sincerely that I'm broken and I cannot earn my way to you. Believe, Jesus, that you are my only hope and that you made it possible by your death on the cross. God, would you come in and do something radical in my life? Would you pray something like that just right where you sit? Ask God to come in and change you and do something powerful in your life. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us each a story. And God, I pray that today we would make you even a bigger, more powerful part of our story. Would you be honored by all that we say, think, do, and sing in these moments?